Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP, 106.5 FM Louisville. Also streaming worldwide at forwardradio.org. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 359. Today's topic is how the media really works. So what does this topic have to do with climate change? The purpose of the Climate Report is to solve the problem of climate change. This is a collective effort. This is going to require, you know, everybody or many people to be on board. And the ability to, to have any sort of collective effort depends on getting good information from the media. And if we're systematically getting bad information from the media, then we not only want to know that we are getting bad information from the media, but we want to know how that works. So let's distinguish between the dominant understanding of the media and how it really works. The dominant understanding is, look, these people are not perfect, but they do a pretty good job of getting the facts straight. They're doing the best they can. If they don't do a really good job, then they're going to be, you know, criticized by those who are the watchdogs, which is the other media. So that's the dominant view. And then a more accurate view is what I call the Chomsky, Adams, Taibbi, Parenti, Carlin model, which is that news corporations are controlled by commercial interests. The commercial interests control the content, and the people that control the content will not for very long tolerate news reportage or commentary that is adverse to their interests. So when I say it's the Chomsky, Adams, Taibbi, Parenti, Carlin model, let's look at what these five people have to say about how the media really works. The following is Henry Francis Adams, who was the great-grandson of uh, John Adams, the grandson of John Quincy Adams, who is the descendant of two presidents. He is also the son of the ambassador to the United Kingdom during the Lincoln administration. Most importantly, he wrote a nine-volume history of the Jefferson and Madison administrations, which was praised for its literary style and its capable, competent marshalling of documentary evidence. Henry Francis Adams said the following. He said, The press is the hired agent of a moneyed system and set up for no other purpose than to tell lies where their interests are involved. One can trust nobody and nothing. So when he says you can't trust what they're saying, he's not saying don't read it. He's saying don't trust it. Verify, find your information from independent sources. When he says the press is the hired agent, an agent is somebody who does your bidding. He says it's the hired agent of a moneyed System. So you don't have to believe this, but this is where I'm coming from, and there's some good intellectual and historical support for the idea that the press is the hired agent of a moneyed system and set up for no other purpose than to tell lies where their interests are involved. For example, we got into the Iraq war on the basis of a lie. The lie was that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction. 
And then when it turns out there weren't any weapons of mass destruction, uh, well, we're here to install democracy in the Middle East because we are such, we are democracy. We're all about freedom and democracy. Well, that was another lie because we've never been willing to give the people of Iraq freedom from our domination. It is still occupied. So we're talking about how the media really works. And the next quote along those lines is from Michael Parenti. Look him up online. Look him up on YouTube. Read one of his books like Inventing Reality or Face of Imperialism. One of the brightest minds in the last hundred years, in my view. Michael Parenti says, For many people, an issue does not exist until it appears in the news media. How we view issues, indeed, what we even define as an issue or event, what we see and hear, and what we do not see and hear, are greatly determined by those who control the communications world. So let's look at the war in Ukraine. What people see or don't see in relation to that issue is largely a function of what they see in the news media. If Putin is this big villain and Putin is never compared to what our presidents have done, then most people accept that as reality. If Putin supposedly colluded with Trump to get Trump elected in 2016 because the party that the other party couldn't do an inventory and say, why did we really lose this election? Well, you can't do that. You have to play the blame game and you have to, you know, put forth su supposed evidence like the Steele dossier and the P-tapes and the Podesta emails and the hacking into computers and the hacking into our elections and the how the Russians supposedly controlled people's opinions by means of a few Facebook posts. And that is the people's reality. That's the reality of people who have been following these stories on CNN and MSNBC. Even the New York Times is major into Russiagate, even though there's hardly a scintilla of evidence. Certainly there's no evidence on the scale of what would be required to substantiate these allegations. But this is the reality that people live in. Michael Parenti goes on to say that the media exert a subtle, persistent influence in defining the scope of respectable political discourse, channeling public opinion and directions that are essentially supportive of the existing political economic system. In other words, there's not going to be a meaningful critique in the news media of our health insurance so, you know, how people get health care. There's not going to be a meaningful critique of the defense industry. There's not going to be a meaningful critique of international trade or banking. There's really not going to be a meaningful critique of our elections or our two-party system. What you're going to see in the news media, according to Michael Parenti, is basically a justification of how things are. What you're going to get is a series, an endless series of narratives that support the powerful interests in our society. 
You're never going to get a critique that says, if we have 31 flavors of Baskin-Robbins ice cream, why do we just have two political parties? It would seem that it would be more important to have meaningful choice of our political parties, but we don't get that. And also, news coverage that you don't get is how both political parties uh, conspire to limit the, uh, you know, the, the Libertarian Party and the Green Party. Matthew Ho is one example of a recent candidate that has been relentlessly opposed and by the you know, Democratic Party. But you're not going to get these stories opposed. I mean, you know, playing dirty in the courts, requiring a certain number of signatures. And then when the Green Party gets those signatures up, sorry, uh, these signatures aren't valid. You know, the, the, this has been substantiated that the Democratic Party went door to door to the people that had given Matthew Ho's signatures in North Carolina, went door to door and asked people to withdraw those signatures. So third parties don't have the resources to compete with such dirty business, and these stories don't get told in the mainstream media for reasons that we will go into. Next in our list of commentators that give a meaningful critique of the news media such as it is, is George Carlin. Yes, George Carlin. Yes, comedians can and do provide meaningful critiques of our system such as it is. If you have not heard He's deceased now, but have you, if you have not seen recordings of George Carlin critiquing our political system, and if you don't have respect for that, you have, have either not seen it, or I'm not sure what you're thinking, but George Carlin is a, meaning, is a social critic with a lot of understanding of how things really work, and he says this, Keep in mind, news media are not independent. They are a sort of bulletin board and public relations firm for the ruling class, the people who run things. Those who decide what news you will or will not hear are paid by and tolerated purely at the whim of those who hold economic power. In other words, the people who hold economic power are not you and me, and it is not primarily you or me or average people who decide what stories get told or what commentators have a job or what newspapers uh, report on. For example, leading up to the Iraq War, there were three uh, media personalities that were fired from MSNBC, leading up to the Iraq war because they were all for peace, and those include Jesse Ventura, Phil Donahue, and Ed Schultz. It was not the viewers of MSNBC that decided whether these people would have a job. It is the, their bosses and, no doubt, the, the sponsors, who include the military-industrial complex, all we're saying here is like George Carlin said, those who decide what news you will or will not hear are paid by and tolerated purely at the whim of those who hold economic power. Carlin goes on to say, if the parent corporation doesn't want you to know something, it won't be on the news, period. 
or at the very least it will be slanted to suit them and then rarely followed up. You're listening to The Climate Report on WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. So how does this work? We're talking about how the news media really works. One of the most important books, possibly the most important book ever written on this subject, is called Manufacturing Consent by Edward Herman and Noam Chomsky. Noam Chomsky is the world-famous linguist. I, call it, I like to call him the, uh, the Einstein of linguistics. He has absolutely revolutionized that field. He's also an important political commentator and, in my view, historian, who has investigated and investigated and written and written. He's written over 100 books, if you include his linguistics and his political commentary and reporting, and his media analysis. I've read Manufacturing Consent several times, and I'm a student of Noam Chomsky, and here's my summary of what they're saying about how manufacturing consent works. How does the news media really work? Not the popular understanding of how it works, not the self-image that the media have, of themselves, but how does it really work? And they call it the propaganda model. And it's something like this. Not everybody has the same amount of wealth and power. People use that wealth and power in their favor as it relates to the news. Furthermore, powerful institutions such as governments, corporations, and I would say even you know, billionaires, wealthy people, people like Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, relentlessly use the media in their favor as their own little PR arm. All it takes is a lot of power and a lot of money, and you can buy, you can buy coverage, you can buy entire newspapers and media assets, you can buy sponsorship, You can buy think tanks. So powerful institutions such as governments, corporations, and even large nonprofits and trade associations have the resources to skew the news in their favor and prevent very much coverage of news that is unfavorable. So if you have the money, the money is power, you can buy the news. And most people understand that some of this goes on. I don't think most people, including supposedly educated people, understand the extent to which it goes on. Like people who are all goggly-eyed over Bill Gates just don't understand the extent to which he has poured money into news media, including NPR, for the purpose, for apparently, for the purpose of positive PR for all of his projects. So how else does this work? According to Chomsky and Herman, how does this work and how else does it work? Chomsky and Herman talk about five filters that control what does and does not make the news. 
Filter number one, according to Chomsky and Herman in Manufacturing Consent, relates to the size of media organizations and the concentrations of wealth and power that they represent. I'm paraphrasing, uh, so I won't get into copyright trouble, but this is how I understand their, their first filter to be. The first filter is, who owns this media corporation? What people own the media corporation, what families own stock, and also what corporations own stock. There was a time, no longer, but there was a time when General Electric owned NBC. And, and they don't own NBC anymore, but there are more subtle ways to own stock and, and exert control. There was a time, I, th I think ABC is still a part of the Disney conglomerate of media organizations. So if Disney owns ABC, is, ABC, is Disney going to have a certain amount of influence over what news gets covered and what doesn't get covered. And then you have things like interlocking directorates, like, hey, I'll be on your board of directors if you be on my board of directors and you vote for me, you vote in my interest and I'll vote in your interests. So that's filter number one that determines the quality, quantity, and extent and frequency of news coverage, which is ownership. The second one is sponsorship. If you want to control news coverage, all you have to do is buy advertising. If you buy advertising, media corporations know not to bite the hand that feeds them. If you're in the military-industrial complex and you don't want very much coverage of these bombs and planes and landmines and uh, th that are you know, <laughs> exerting such an influence over the quality of people's lives in other countries and in our countries. If you, and if you don't want people to know the environmental damage or the climate impact that results from your business model, then just buy advertising. If you're a pharmaceutical company, buy advertising. If you're an automaker and you don't want people to know the extent to which you are lobbying Congress to get what you want, then buy advertising. Of course, you're going to buy advertising anyway, but the additional benefit of that is that they're not going to cover very much that is unfavorable because you are pouring so much money into their corporation in the form of ad revenue. Filter number three that determines the quality, quantity, extent, and frequency of news coverage according to Manufacturing Consent by Edward Herman and Noam Chomsky is what's called sources. You rely on your sources. You want to be, you want to be nice to your sources or they won't be sources anymore. So this model I describe as the reliance of experts in business and government and the need to be loyal to your sources. If you want to use the Pentagon as a source, or a general as a source, or a this or that military contractor as a source, or if you want to use a politician as a source, or if you want to use a business executive as a source, and you want them to continue to be a source, then you better not say anything about them that is very unflattering. Filter number four in Chomsky and Herman's 
model is flak. Flak is blowback. It's a war metaphor. It's like uh, bombs that go off in the air, and flak is the like the shrapnel from a bomb. And the term has come to mean like you know if you give somebody grief or is somebody giving you grief, that's called flak. And so powerful interests have the ability and the desire and the inclination to give you flack if you don't cover them favorably. If you think unfavorably of somebody like Joe Rogan, then that might be because he has gotten a lot of flack from people who from people and institutions and economic interests that don't like where he's coming from. He doesn't fit neatly into the types of things that you want him to say. Here's the biggest podcast in the world. More views and more downloads than any other podcast in the world. Joe Rogan has power because, for one thing, he poses a serious challenge to these orthodoxies that we're all supposed to believe. Here's a guy who's not a Republican, but they say he's right-wing. He's never voted for a Republican, and they say he's right-wing. He believes in every conceivable social program that will help the average person. But not only do they say he's right-wing, but they lie about him. And I'm not allowed to talk to you about how they lie about him because of certain decisions that have been made at Forward Radio about what I can and cannot talk about. But Joe Rogan gets a lot of flack from powerful interests that don't like what he does, who he is, or what he stands for. You're listening to The Climate Report on WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. We're talking about how the news really works as opposed to how most people think it works. I mean, there's some people on the street that know it's a pack of lies, but many people don't know that, and especially people who consider themselves so educated are so thoroughly indoctrinated that they don't know Truth from, uh, truth from lies, and they think that news media, especially their particular, if it's Republican or if it's Democratic news media, they believe in their side, they go to bat for their team, and they don't understand that the news media on their side is lying to them and not in a small way. So we've been talking about the four filters according to Manufacturing Consent by Noam Chomsky and Edward Herman. And the fifth filter is anti-communism and other, other dominant societal orthodoxies. So this book was written in the Cold War. It was written originally in 1988. And so anti-communism was a religion then, and I would say it's still a religion but there's not a, these major superpowers that are blatantly communist anymore. 
at least the Russian Empire is no longer, com no longer communist, and yet, and yet, and yet, there are still these orthodoxies that constitute a filter which determines the news stories, they, it determines the quantity, the quality, the frequency, and the extent of the news that gets reported. So whereas in the late 80s, Chomsky and Herman would say anti-communism, I would say that anti-socialism is still a, a, an orthodoxy. It's still a deeply embedded societal ideology that determines what news does and doesn't, doesn't get reported. Related to that is the free market. Now, if you ask me, there's never been a free market. Free markets are always set up by powerful people, their markets have rules, and there are people who determine those rules, so a free market has never existed. And there's so much hypocrisy today in free, free trade means here's how it's going to be. There's a lot of gunboat diplomacy that goes into so-called free trade. So the U.S. is allowed to dump underpriced rice on markets like Haiti and Ghana and allowed to dump underpriced corn on markets like Mexico, which can grow corn, but they can't com compete with subsidized corn that gets, sub that gets sold at below cost. Other orthodoxies that determine the uh, extent, frequency, and nature of news stories are uh, American exceptionalism. Everybody believes in American exceptionalism, you know, not least of all liberals. Had a liberal friend, before all this Ukraine war stuff started, a, a liberal friend said, we need to be able to exercise soft power. Huh? What is soft power? This is somebody who's saying something that they just don't know what they just said. They're just repeating what they've heard. Soft power. Yeah, right. What does that even mean? It's a mailed fist inside a velvet glove. It's speak softly and kick people's teeth out if they don't do what we say. So I've got another couple of minutes. Let me leave you with something to think about. I like saying, you know, welcome to the United States of amnesia, where we, we've been lied into the last three wars, and the three before that, and the three before that, and the three before that, and so on ad infinitum. We are lied to about how wars start. We're lied to about why they are continuing. And, and, and then after the war is over, we're lied to about what it was all about. People still say the Vietnam War was a mistake. And don't ever question that it was fundamentally wrong and immoral. Don't ever question the authority, the moral authority that the United States has, that we supposedly have, to go into another country and you know, kill civilians by the thousands, if not the millions, and we're doing all this for freedom and democracy. Yeah, right. Oh, look at the time. Gotta go now. Bye.